0: Welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Today, I'm going to talk to you about forgiveness, and I'm going to start with two stories. When we moved into not our present house, but the previous house, there had been a bit of a dispute between the guy who sold the house to the woman who bought his house, which was the bottom end of our garden. Their their garden came up to the bottom end of our garden. And we had a driveway. And he had built an extension right up to our boundary line, right up to our driveway. So in order to get access to uh, repairing or maintaining the end of his house, he needed to walk over our land and he'd never, he'd never gained this access legally, so he didn't have it. So, when he came to sell the house, he couldn't, because all the lawyers always discovered the fact that he'd built this house without, probably without proper planning permission, and he had never legally gained access to, to the end of his extension over our land. So, he couldn't sell it, and the solicitors all said, well, he's, you've got, you, he has to gain legal access by asking us for access now. We have got to grant him access in our deeds to the end of his property. Otherwise, nobody's going to buy his house. This became very, very difficult because, let's, shall we say, he wasn't the most easy man to get on with. He, he really liked being nasty to people. So when we said to him, well, we're going to have to charge you a fee because it would cost us to have our solicitors doing the work. So have to pay for our solicitors. He'll have to pay for your solicitors. And also, we think we should charge you a fee for going across our land. And, and this is going to be there forever. Everybody, he will, or, or for, for hundreds of years, people will be able to walk across our land onto to, to the end of his house. So he we said, well, we think you should charge a fee. So our solicitors advised us, and this was quite a really substantial amount of money. You can imagine what this man felt like. He really hated us. So it became very, very, a bit nasty. But we just, there was a group of us, about four of us, And because his property came to the edge of all four of our properties at the end of our garden. So we just stuck together and said, sorry, that's it. You either pay us or you don't sell your house. (laughs) Simple. Well, he, anyway, he he had no choice. But you can imagine, I I think he nearly gave himself a stroke. He got so angry. You know, I'm not going to describe what it was like, but it was not nice. Anyway. So he thought we were horrible, really horrible people. The lady who bought his house, just after we bought our house, lovely lady called Barbara, she moved into her house. The next day after she moved in, she'd done a lot of clearing out of all her house. And I woke up and in the morning, all of her rubbish was thrown over the wall onto my driveway. Didn't ask me. Just, I mean, it's huge, massive pile of rubbish. Couldn't get my, couldn't get onto my driveway because there's so much stuff. Couldn't get my car in and out of the garage. Couldn't do anything. So, it didn't really matter because I didn't really use the garage. I used the garage like a garden shed. I had the car on the road. So, it didn't really bother us, but you understand the it wasn't really good behavior so I said to Sue I said uh, I can see where this is coming from this guy has told her that we are really foul people and so she even before she's ever seen us, she hates us so she thinks okay I'll make a point throws all her stuff over our driveway she never even met us so I, I, understand, I understood what was going on. So I had a discussion with you, didn't I, Sue? Yeah. I says, um, I kind of felt kind of a bit shaky. I, I, I don't really like having a confrontation like this. So I said, but I have to say something. She, she can't do this. On the very first day virtually that she moves in, she's clearly making a point. I, I kind of hate you. And, and, and you're not going to bully me around. So I said, I'm going to have to do something. So all right, I said, okay. Oh, shaking. Stood on the door. Knocked on the door. And this, the door opened. And this rather attractive lady, dark-haired lady, standing at the door. There. And, and I'm on the top step. And I said, hello. And I, I was really pleasant. I said, my name's Irvin. And I'm the guy who lives in this house, and um, we'd just like to say to you, welcome, and you're perfectly free to put your stuff on my drive, because I realize you've got a lot to do, and it's really nice, however, can I say this, you should have asked me first, F off, (coughs) door slammed, Bang! like that that's that's exactly how I did it I was absolute I I did it absolutely properly I was trying to love her saying you're welcome to do it but please you should have asked us first so I challenged her by saying you should have asked bang Slammed the door in my face honestly if I'd been two inches closer to that door it would have really broken my nose So I started shaking more, (laughs) and I came back to Sue. I was really shaking, wasn't I? I mean, (gasps) what do we do now? (sighs) And immediately, we said, well, the Bible says, bless those who persecute you. Okay, we'll do that. So we sat down, and we blessed her. First of all, we forgave her. We just pictured her in front of us and said, Barbara? Did we know her name was Barbara at that time? I think so, yes. Okay. said, Barbara, we forgive you. We absolutely forgive you. And furthermore, we're blessing you with health. We're blessing you with uh, a really healthy family. We're blessing you with wealth and prosperity and goodness. We didn't bless her with... Oh God, bless her with uh, nice character, (laughs) you know, bless her with uh, forbearance. We weren't blessing her with anything that would be beneficial to us. We just blessed her with goodness and we blessed her and we blessed her and we just kept blessing her, didn't we? We didn't stop for about 10 minutes and at 10 minutes, I'm going to need a tissue, I can feel it, 10 minutes there was a knock on the door. I said, oh, I'll go and see who that is. Opens the door, there is Barbara. This is just 10 minutes of praying, forgiving and blessing. She's at, standing at the door and she looked at us and said, can we have tea? <laughs> wow. Did she ask to come around or ask, invite us around? Yeah, no, that's right. He said, would you like to come round for tea? We went round. Ah, thank you. The reason I need the tissues is just this, this stuff absolutely thrills me to pieces because forgiveness is absolutely right at the very heart of the center of God and of the kingdom of God. It's absolutely smack in the middle. And um, from that day, we were really like that. We were the closest of friends. It was unbelievable, totally unbelievable. She, she started hating us, ac- appeared to have no intention of changing. And after 10 minutes of blessing her and forgiving her, she came around and she wanted to be friends I don't know that she ever apologized, but her actions were clearly an apology. And after that, we, had, we were best of friends. We would have Tina garden together when she was having problems with her. She wasn't a, a Christian. She'd, she kind of did sort of magnetic therapy or some crystals therapy. She was quite an alternative therapist. But when her, when her child got into problems, she came around to us and begged us to pray for him. Yeah. Now, nah, come on. Isn't that just great? Just the power of forgiving and blessing, I'm telling you. It's world changing. That was one story. Great story. Second story. Um, I didn't really tell you much about the story of my dad, uh, but my dad was a Polish refugee after the war. And for reasons I won't go into now, he was truly a homeless man he couldn't go back to poland he would have been shot as a traitor uh he couldn't relate to normal polish people living in england because they might have done something to him as a traitor he fought for a while with the german army when uh, the german army invaded silesia i always talk about the war when it's when germans are in the group <laughs> it's really funny i'm sorry but i know you don't think it's funny but uh Sorry, but anyway, so, so he was press ganged and forced to fight with the German army or, or he would have been shot by the Germans. So he had to fight in the German army for a while until he was captured. So everybody, everybody in Poland regarded him as a traitor and that he would have been shot. What's a, traitor? a traitor is somebody who is against their own country. So he would have been shot. He couldn't go back to Poland ever. And so he had no home there. He had no home really amongst the normal Poles who didn't get captured in that way. Um, the only place he could find friendship were with people in the pub. There were Ukraines and, uh, and other Poles in a similar position. And of course, the only place they could meet was in the pub. So the pub became his home. And um, he just drank a lot. So when he got married, and uh, my mum's situation was such that after she got married, she kind of bitterly resented him from stealing her away from, because she got pregnant. Then she was stuck to the kitchen sink, and she kind of felt her life was over because she was a very intelligent lady, and she wanted to go to university, and, and that was finished for her, and she blamed my dad. So from very early on in the marriage, she hated him too. And she taught us to hate him. We truly, truly hated him. So much that when I went to university, I kind of... For me, it was like, I'm the man who hates his dad. And I kind of told everybody. I was, I bragged about it. Um, there's, but there, was, there are other stories to that. But anyway, um, I'm just pointing out that uh, life was... I had a difficult relationship with my dad. You can understand all of that. And uh, Fairly a long way in. While I was at university, uh, the marriage, uh, they decided to get divorced. Mum waited for my youngest sister to get to a point where she was old enough, but she'd been planning this divorce for a long time. And uh, they never forgave each other. Their marriage was, well, well, horrible. And after they divorced, for a while, my mum became a Christian a couple of years after they got divorced. And so her speech changed and she started talking in different ways. But my dad didn't overtly make any Christian commitment. And he couldn't let go of his anger. And it was the anger of a man who was just totally, totally homeless and rejected by everybody. And he would always talk about wanting to kill her if she comes across the road. You know, they used to see each other in the road occasionally. And he says, if I see her in the road, I'm going to really punch her lights out or kill her. And Eventually, one day, I said, Dad, I've had enough. I can't take this anymore. I said, I want, you need to understand, the woman that you're talking about is my mother. And so Dad... I'm sorry to say this, but I will not allow you to speak about my mother in that way. I said, if you cannot speak to me about my mother without saying these things, I want you to not speak to me. So that's quite brave. And I had to say that to him. He said, okay, off you go then. I went home and he never spoke to me for a year. That was it. Relationship finished. I tried to give him a birthday present, sent it back to me. Don't try to. Anyway, things like that. So, at the end of the, uh, there is, it was about one year into this, and me and Sue were leading the youth work in our church. And I was expected to lead the prayer meetings for the leaders of the youth team. So, we did. And I just knew in my spirit, oh, I just wasn't right. Just wasn't right. And I started trying to lead this prayer meeting and it was its like wading through mud. It, it I just wasn't working. And Jackie, one of the members, she was a very brave girl. She said, can we stop this, please? <laughs> oh, yeah. She says, "Irvin, you're the one we need to pray for. Oh, you know, you know, she didn't pull any punches she, you know, she didn't seem kind at the time uh, but she said Irvin you're the one that needs to be prayed for aren't you I went I think I probably am yes <laughs> so uh, she said right let's, let's pray what's it about I said I don't really know I didn't really know why I didn't feel good and I wasn't relating it to my dad at that time But she said, let's pray. And as soon as we prayed, God was giving me pictures. I won't describe what the pictures were, but anyway, he was giving me pictures and he was downloading to me a real compassion for my dad. And (sighs) I'll try to keep talking. uh, But, you know, an an understanding of all the pain that was in, in his heart. So... I, uh, but more than an understanding of what was going in, just a deep compassion, that he was in real pain, and that, uh, well, anyway, it was really, really tragic. And what happened is, I finished. How long was I on the floor? i virtually totally destroyed her carpet. <laughs> I mean, that I mean, there's snot and there's snot. And then there's snot. And then there's what I was doing. <laughs> I mean, oh, I mean her, I'm sure she had to have a carpet replaced or professionally cleaned afterwards. But during that time, I was just pouring out <clears throat> compassion for my dad. Screaming <laughs> and forgiving him. Because I had to forgive him. I was understanding what was going on. But I knew I had to forgive him. I had to cut him free from the, the bonds of hatred that were there. So, <laughs> anyway, it wasn't fun at the time. It was very, very, for me, it was very traumatic, I have to say. Anyway, we went to bed, seven, was it seven o'clock in the morning? Was it early? Very, about seven o'clock in the morning. Remember, I had not spoken to my father for a year. No signs that he wants to speak to me. I have this incredible time of prayer where I'm just forgiving him and forgiving him forgiving him for an hour. Seven o'clock the following morning, the phone rings. Hi, it's dad. Rings me up. Can we talk? (laughs) Awesome. So, I went to talk. And... He asked for forgiveness, he apologized for the way he would behaved, he said things like, <clears throat> you know, he, o- he always said he hated God and he didn't believe in God and you couldn't understand how his experiences would have led him to do that. His family was Catholic, but he said to me, you know, it's not God I don't believe in, it's Christians, it's people. And that was the very first time in his life he'd ever given any indication that he, in fact, did believe in God or wanted to start believing God again. And from that day, we were like that. (laughs) It was amazing. You know, we became friends. He fell in love with our boys. (sighs) You know, (sighs) I don't say anything else to you today, that's the most important thing. The forgiveness sets people free. I don't cry this much Oh <laughs> Ah, well. Anyway, they know me in my church where I'm the crying doc. You just have to accept that. That's me. When the Holy Spirit's around and I know what he's doing and I feel his goodness... I cry, (laughs) it's a good thing. So don't feel sorry for me, do not feel sorry for me, this is a really good thing. Yeah, aren't they good stories? And they're true stories, they really are true stories. I'm not making those up, I'm not embellishing them, those actually happened just like that. So, now we've gotten that emotional bit over can I talk a bit of theology to you? Tiny bit. <laughs> uh. When did Jesus die? Yeah. Before go on, say it out loud. Before the foundation of the world, the meaning of that is before creation. Before creation, Jesus died. How does that work? That sounds insane. Doesn't it sound insane? And it didn't, the Bible doesn't just say God the Father thought of Jesus's dying before the foundation of the world. It says Jesus died before the foundation of the world. Next question. When were you chosen in Christ? Say it. Same same wording in the Bible, before the foundation of the world. Before creation existed, you were in him chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, you know what Jesus said to people? when he was talking about Abraham and them being children of Abraham, he said, I tell you, before Abraham was, finish the sentence. Do you know it? Jesus is talking to Jews and he said to them, before Abraham even existed, before Abraham was, I am. He used the name of God. The name of God. I am. And the use of the tenses in the language is really important. He says, before Abraham was, in your past, right, we exist in this world. And we experience time. Time is the sequence of events, isn't it? This event happened before that event. These events will happen in our future. So this sequence of events we call time. But Jesus says... (laughs) Listen, I'm the creator of the whole of creation. I hold the whole of creation in my hands. Creation for me is one big now. Does that all make sense to you? For God... Is that a real one? All right, yeah. For God, even though he looks at us and, and he knows and, and, and he, he invented time but the God who invented time is outside of it. Does that make sense? Just like creation, let's say, let's just say it this way, let's say this Bible that I'm holding, let's say that's the creation. There's a beginning to creation, boom, okay? And there's an end of creation, whether that's another boom, I don't know but there's an end of creation. In it, Let's say this is your page, page 513. And that little paragraph is the paragraph of your life, right? Begins there and ends there. You're, you're in there and you're experiencing those sequence of events, time. But how is God experiencing it? It's all there in his hands, seen all at the same time. That, do you understand that? Before Abraham was, I am, I I am an eternal now, right? I think that's so, that's utterly, utterly foundational to understanding the heart of God, to understand that. The whole of the universe is in his hands now from his point of view. Right, okay. So, he makes rose. When did he make Rose? From his perspective. You can answer. No. Now. Oh, there's Rose dying. Oh. When did she die? From his perspective. No. Now. Oh, there's that sin. <laughs> it's there. He, he's seeing it. He's holding you in existence whilst you're doing it. And when is that happening? From his perspective. Now. However, you are in him from the foundation of the world. That's amazing. You are not just locked into that page. Something that Jesus did on the cross at this point here this is 2000 years ago this is Jesus dying on the cross suddenly and this is this is the this is the miracle this is the mystery isn't it suddenly as Jesus died on the cross and as you from this page here looking back and said oh he's dying for me at that moment as you as your whole thinking about the universe changes What he did 2,000 years ago affects me now. You're kind of doing, you're time traveling, aren't you? You are time traveling. That way of looking at the world, this world, you'll see the world, you'll see the, the universe different forever now because what Jesus did has eternal consequences. He died for all sins of all men in all time. For him, it was an eternal, the death of Jesus was an eternal now. It was a forever now. He died in our timescale, but his event, the actual event in eternity, somehow was an eternal event. It happened before the foundation of the world. The, all those transactions which happened, happen in our time frame. But as our time frame kind of intersects with eternity, and the kingdom of heaven—it suddenly becomes a now event for all for all time. You've suddenly been translated into eternity. You are now you are now a part of an enormously, infinitely greater universe. Does that all make sense? And for God, it's all now. Okay. So he sees you being born now, Rose. Do you mind me using you in this way? You sure? He sees you dying now. He sees you sinning now. In fact, he's holding every molecule of your existence in existence even whilst you're sinning now. But Jesus is dying for you now. Not 2,000 years ago. It's an eternal now. Because you're in him and have been so from all eternity. He's died and his death is there for all eternity. It's all happening from him now. Now, that's quite deep theology. And it messes with your brain. But the point is, what is going on? What's happening In the heart of God, what is motivating the heart of God when he sees you being created now? He sees you sinning now. He sees you dying now. He sees you in heaven now. He sees Jesus dying for you now. What's going on in the heart of God that those things should be all happening, especially the Jesus dying for you now? I'll tell you what's going on. It's love. And it's forgiveness. His love and his forgiveness are virtually the same. Because he sees you and says, well, look, if Jesus doesn't die for you now, for all of these things, you're lost. Right? You're screwed up. You're scrunched. You're lost. You're going to be unable to understand me, you're going to be unable to see me, acknowledge me. So what can I do? I am going to do whatever it takes to have you back. I'm going to do whatever it takes to win you back because I know the heart of man and I know the heart of man is going to be skewed off, wanting to run himself, not wanting me to run his life. He knows the heart of man was foundationally sinful or was going to be sinful, even as he created us all. He created us knowing in this big nowness. He saw Adam now doing all this stuff as he created him. It's all a now. Like I said, from our point of view, time exists. It's past, present, future. But from his point of view, it is not. And even choosing to create Adam, knowing there was an inevitability of what Adam would do, creating euros, knowing there was an inevitability that inheriting all this stuff from Adam, all this humanity and everything, he he just sees it and says, what can I do to make this work? I know what I can do. I put the antidote right in there, right from the foundation of the world my son dying, so that you can see yourself in him and die in him. And all that transaction, that incredible transaction that we have to look at in awe and amazement and almost without understanding, but just stand back and go, I can hardly believe it, but I somehow do that this is for me. He did this for me. And God is saying, I will do whatever it takes, Andy, to make this work for you. And the thing that makes it work, he says, I am just not going to hold this against you. I actually created you knowing that all this stuff would happen anyway. So I'm, I'm going to take the responsibility now, don't get lost in whether sin's our responsibility or not. But foundationally, God could have chosen to not make you. But he did make you, knowing exactly everything. He chose to make you, and he took the responsibility for that and all of the stuff that you were going to do. I said, I am going to die myself for them, to make it work. I'm going to take responsibility. To make it work so they, they can be in me. That is love. That some will do whatever it takes. And it clearly took an enormous amount. It clearly took a huge amount. It took his own son coming into the earth at a point in history and dying. So that he could be lifted up, as he says in this conversation with Nicodemus, so that he's lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness, so that everybody who looks at him will be drawn into him. That's what he said to Nicodemus, wasn't it? Just as the Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that all men will be drawn to him. That was Jesus telling Nicodemus how people get saved. That happened in history, but it's an eternal event. And it's love and forgiveness and forgiveness. And a desire for you. An out and out, utter, absolute, falling over in love with you. And the forgiveness for you and the compassion for you that makes it work. So forgiveness is foundationally in the heart of God and nothing is going to work without it. Forgiveness is not a Christian add-on. It's not an optional extra. It is in fact the love and the power that makes the kingdom of God possible for us. All right. I hope I've given you an understanding of how the importance of forgiveness Uh, Well, gosh, I can't even remember what I said there. Forgiveness isn't a Christian add-on. It is, in fact, the the love and the power of the kingdom of heaven, which makes the kingdom of heaven work for us as Christians. It's absolutely central. Right. So that was a bit of a theological diversion. And then, guess what? Jesus said in John 8, Jesus is standing outside the temple where they're enacting a ritual which uh, was a ritual which uh, it was like a illustration of what's uh, a, a prophecy that God gave to Ezekiel about the temple and the water flowing out of the temple. You know that? The temple and the water got deeper and deeper and deeper and there were trees of life and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations, and the fruit of the tree was for the feeding. So healing and feeding was flowing out of the heart of God. Right? That's what the Ezekiel prophecy was about in Ezekiel 47. And every year they had this, uh, this national celebration where the priests would pour out water at the base of the altar and the water would trickle out under the door of the temple and they would be enacting this uh this prophetic this prophecy from ezekiel 47 and the language in it is absolutely wonderful it talks about the water of god coming from the temple of god and trees for the healing of the nations and fruit for the feeding of the nations and Jesus said, he says that at the last, on the last day of the uh, feast, this is on the day that the priests were doing this pouring out water thing. It says Jesus stood up and he says, if anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So here is the priest talking about the heart of God flowing and getting deeper and deeper and healing and provision coming from it. And Jesus stands up outside the temple and gives an alternative preach. Right, if anybody wants the water of living, of real life, if anybody wants, if anybody's 13, let him come to me and drink. <laughs> because out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying, this river that they're talking about in the temple, the love of God, the power of God, the kingdom of God, flowing into this world with healing and provision. Guess what? This is in you. (laughs) And out of your innermost being, these rivers of living water will flow. The kingdom of heaven is, this is the way God has designed it to be. Christians You are amazingly important because the kingdom of heaven is here to flow out of you. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, out of his innermost being, out of his belly, will flow these rivers of love, of power, of kingdom, of forgiveness. All of it flowing out of you. This is what you were made for. (laughs) This is your destiny. This is why you're here, (laughs) for God to pour out his power, his love, his kingdom, his forgiveness, and everything it takes to bring the world back to himself is flowing out of you. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And I, uh, anyway, yeah, actually I might have to stop the tape and go to the toilet in a minute. (laughs) That's on the tape now, isn't it? (laughs) Anyway, I'll give you a five minute break. just wanted to read Matthew chapter 16. This is in the Good News version. I've decided I like the Good News version. I like all versions, but uh, anyway. This is the one that was at the side of the bed this morning. Listen to this. This is true of you. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What do keys do? Keys unlock doors, don't they? Opening of doors, allowing things to happen. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And what you prohibit on earth will be prohibited in heaven. And what you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. In other words, you become the gatekeepers, the doorkeepers. Uh, Sorry, Matthew 16, verse 19. You are like the on-off taps. If you want to prohibit something, stop something, you have the power to stop it. You are that important. If you want to let something go and loose it, release it, open the the floodgates and let it come out. Out of your innermost being, rivers of living water will flow. You have the choice to release the kingdom or to not. You have incredible power and authority. Um John chapter twenty, just talking about forgiveness. Oh. Sorry for wiggling. Uh oh no. No, I think I'm no I think I might have got that wrong. Oh yeah. John chapter twenty, verse twenty three. And just in case you really felt, you know, I do have this power of releasing. I mean, Jesus has forgiven us all, hasn't he? God has forgiven the world. And yet, in John chapter 20, verse 23, it says, if you forgive people's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. How about that? Only God can forgive sins. Guess what? You've got, that, you've got that responsibility, that privilege of switching forgiveness on and off for people. Now, you know, you could get tied up in knots on this one because you say, well, God's done it all anyway. But you're his means of touching the world with it. Right? His heart, his love, his kingdom, his forgiveness. Anyway, that's your privilege. And I'm just going to switch this off just for a moment. Am I on again? Right, I'm on again, right. So I'm just going to start again. Um, So I I hope I've reasonably represented the the importance of forgiveness right at the heart of God. That forgiveness is right in the heart of the kingdom of God. Uh, Essentially the foundation of it. Uh, At least as far as we're concerned. And... uh, Right. What stops us forgiving? Does anybody want to come and just write under the tree, of, under these trees? Does anybody go, good writer? Sue, you're a good writer. I'm a good writer. Yeah. <laughs> pride. Things that stop us forgiving. Pride. Pride, yeah. What, sure does, pr- right. what does pride say? Why would pride stop you forgiving somebody? That's a different thing. You're saying that somebody's not worthy of your forgiveness. In other words, they're a bad person. Right. Now, what's that? That's a judgment, isn't it? You've judged that they're a bad person. And why have you judged that they're a bad person? Because they do wrong things. In other words, what's the fruit you're eating when you make those judgments and you decide somebody's not worthy of your forgiveness because they do bad things, therefore they're a bad person? Which tree would you say bears the fruit which would allow you to say, "Oh, they've either done wrong or good? It's kind of obvious, isn't it? <laughs> the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the fruit of that tree. Makes you judge the actions of others and say they're wrong, therefore they don't deserve it. Okay? You're eating the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when you do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do that, yeah. Uh, judgment, judgment, yeah. You're judging others. It lives in the world of that knowledge of good and evil. What do we call that stru- What do we call our structures in society which says this is right, this is wrong. This is good, this is evil, law. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil lives in the world of law and, and insists on the working out of the work of law. They've done bad, therefore they need to be punished. Right, involves punishment, just right there. Yeah. And especially, sorry, yeah, go on, Jonas. Yeah, I think that there's involved as well the thing that if I forgive them their bad. Yeah. 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 You don't want them to get get let off. Right. You want to keep you want them to keep paying the price. In fact. Um, And when that happens to you, when wrongdoing has been done to you, can you think of words which would describe how you feel this knowledge that you want them to pay and to keep paying? Hatred. Hatred Hatred comes under there. Revenge. Revenge. Yeah? Bitterness. The fruit of this tree makes your heart bitter. Okay? It makes the one who's wronged you, it makes you want them to keep paying. That's what bitterness is. All right? And it remembers. It's it's fruit of remembrance. Always remembering what they have done. So it rehearses, it rehearses the pain, doesn't it? It rehearses the wrongdoing. It plays it over like a, a, a never ending record. Yeah. Rehearsal. Yeah, it you, doesn't it? Yeah, it's constantly taking up the yeah. yeah. And the pain that, that those events have produced in your heart, we're coming to our personal things now, what does it do to them? It keeps rehearsing that. You're playing with the pain all of the time. You're playing with the wrongdoing. You're playing with the bitterness. You're playing with the pain all of the time, always reminding yourself. So it reinforces the pain of the the wounds. That's what unforgiveness does. When you do not forgive, that's what's happening inside of you you are in fact eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And guess what? It's quite seductive, isn't it? There's something in our hearts which often wants to do this. It's very seductive, but it's a very bitter fruit in the end. Okay? That's That's unforgiveness. What does forgiveness, as we've said, do? Forgiveness sets people Free. Freedom. Okay. When you, se- when you want people to be free, you want yourself to be free, if we're deciding to not want the other person to keep paying, to keep in bondage to that, we're, we're yearning for their freedom and we're yearning for reconciliation. So you can put that down. Reconciliation. The fruit from the tree of unforgiveness, it produces a flow, but a flow of hatred. Where do you think that ultimately comes from? Yes, absolutely. The devil is going to be feeding on that tree. The devil is going to love you to feed off that tree. But the flow that we've talked about is a flow of, you know, these rivers of living water comes from the temple, comes from the tree of life. It's a flow of love, isn't it? A flow of love, restoration. It acknowledges that Jesus paid the price and they don't have to. yeah, Because Jesus did it for them. And so we are simply pouring out on them what Jesus has already done we are in fact his agents of touching the world with his love and therefore as we discussed in our two, as we discussed in the two examples i gave you it actually releases them it releases the world but more importantly it releases us because we're in bondage to this bitterness and hatred and revenge it, it releases the world but it releases us we need this this is in fact part of our freedom and suddenly finding ourselves free and in this flow it rele- it allows the truth because all of this stuff you remember, we were talking about it yesterday. It brings lies in, doesn't it? It brings lies into our hearts. Because the devil is messing around in this tree. And, and then lies start coming in. You know, my dad was never there for me. And, and the more we rehearse that, the more we rehearse it, the more we rehearse the pain, the more that keeps us locked into this pain Wrong beliefs, lies, dysfunctional behavior, it locks us in. It's like putting shackles around our heart and and fastening a lock. That's what unforgiveness does. But forgiveness, it kind of unlocks that and says, come on, let it flow. It sets us free. And it allows, as the lies disappear, it allows truth to flow in. Okay. You remember the parable of the unforgiving servant, you know, who said uh, of the servant who just wouldn't forgive uh, the guy who owed him a small amount of money. And Jesus said, look, unless you forgive your brother from your heart, right, you're going to be like in jail. It's like, and he says, it's like being in jail and you're not going to get out until you've paid the last penny. And Jesus was simply illustrating that unforgiveness and holding things against people is like those chains around us and it's like being in prison. And we have the key to get ourselves out of those prisons. And it's simply, the key is forgiveness. The key is the love of God. Some of the things that forgiveness... uh, isn't. I, just want, I just want to just briefly explain what forgiveness isn't. Some people think that forgiveness is denying that the person did anything wrong. You know, Christians do this a lot. Let me just give you an illustration. And we come across this a lot in SoZo, don't we? Especially when it's to do with parents. Because you've learned as Christians, the Bible says, honor your father and your mother so that it may go well with you. And you may live in the land that God has given you. You know that, you know that commandment. And you therefore think, if I say anything about my mum or dad, which is negative, I'm dishonoring my parents. Well, I'm telling you, that's a load of tosh. That is just a rubbish thought. <laughs> and I'm going to explain why. Because we've learned, haven't we, that even when our parents love us, they can still wound our hearts. Does that make sense? If they're wounding our hearts and we have therefore pain in our hearts and we're living from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're constantly rehearsing the fact that I'm not lovable, right? I'm not important. I'm of second importance. My... Brother was always more important in their eyes than me. Therefore, I'm a second best person. And we're constantly rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing that. That keeps me in bondage. I'm living on the I'm in, I'm living in the wrong tree. Forgiveness says, Whoa, well, I recognize that even though my parents love me, what they did wounded me, and I therefore forgive them. I'm not just I'm not just saying that they did things wrong. What I'm doing is, I'm saying, I know that this whole thing just needs the kingdom, the heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the love of God, the forgiveness of God to be poured in. Like, I forgive you, mom and dad. I recognize that you wounded my heart and I'm setting you free. I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that Jesus died for you. And I'm I don't I'm not I'm choosing to not hold anything against you. And in fact, I'm pouring out on you, Mum and Dad. I'm honoring you with this with this with this torrent of love, of grace, of forgiveness. I'm pouring it out on you. I'm setting you free, mum and dad. Are we dishonoring our mum and dad doing that? Or are we honoring them? <laughs> it's kind of obvious, isn't it? Don't ever let that lie stop you forgiving your parents. That by recognizing some of the things that they've done wrong, you might be dishonoring them. But I find many Christians do that in counseling periods. Oh no, I understand why my parents did that. You know, my dad had problems of his own. And Christians tend to understand things away when what God wants us to do is just pour love and forgiveness over them. (laughs) Understanding can help Let understanding help you do that. Like my understanding of the terrible things my dad did and was involved in and happened to him. It it allowed me to forgive him, to love him. It set him free. I was honoring him by doing that. And I was honoring Mm -hmm. myself. I was setting myself free. I was setting him free. But, and, and... And one of the things is, again, as Christians, oh, you know, I'm fine, I'm fine. That doesn't hurt anymore. You know what I mean? I've been sorted. You know, we can pretend things don't hurt. But forgiving people is not pretending that things don't hurt. Forgiving is actually acknowledging, yes, that hurt. And I need to forgive these people for that hurt. Yes, it hurt. Right? Forgiveness isn't pretending that you don't hurt so it's okay. And forget also, this is another one, because, well, you don't have to like the person. <laughs> you know, whether you actually like a person or not is just something that's just going to happen to you. And you can't force yourself to like somebody. So just don't pretend <laughs> because and that can sometimes inhibit people from forgiving. Say, "Well, I don't like them." You know, one of the reasons you don't like them is you can't kind of hate them, and you sort of ah, you want them to suffer. <laughs> or you know, wrong tree. So don't eat the fruit of that tree, but don't but don't use it as a, as an excuse for saying, well, it means I'll have to like them now. No, you won't. I get the feeling it might be that you start to like them eventually, but that's not the point. Does that all make sense? Yeah. So forgiveness, it destroys unforgiveness, that's what forgiveness does, it destroys unforgiveness. It destroys the life support for the unforgiveness. It releases me from the wrongdoer, it releases them to, 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 to the degree that they're attached to me. It breaks the chains that bind me to the pain and therefore it enables me to break the pain. Because it releases me from the pain. It, it's, I'm, not, I'm not bound to the pain anymore when I start to forgive. I can therefore break those chains that hold me to it. And also the lies that are attached to it. Because pain... Keeping the pain there keeps the lies there that are attached to it. Does that make sense? And once you've broken all of that stuff and flushed it all with the love, and the, you are absolutely free. To just say to the lies go away lie there's nothing holding that lie to you anymore all right? the lie that says you're a piece of crap you're rubbish you're second best you're not important your dad never listened to you so God's not going to listen to you those are just lies but they've been held on there by the pains and once you've broken all those chains and you've flushed it all clean with the love of God and the forgiveness of God you are totally totally free to then say to it, whatever you loose in earth is loose in heaven. Whatever you bound in earth is bound in heaven. You are people of authority. This is who you are. This is who God's made you. You can simply say, go away. And guess what? Lies have to go away. They're not that strongly bound to you once you've, allowed, once you've flushed the place with forgiveness. Yeah, okay. That'll do. Jonas. Do you want to briefly talk? I I've, I've just had a quick word with Jonas, and he said it would, it would be ha- quite happy to talk us through how you did the forgiveness. Yesterday. You, yesterday. you came to me, and you said, how do I forgive a group of people? How do I do that? Can you remember, and could you yeah. explain how you did it? it was just mentioned. I asked, Yep. It Was not related to just one person, yep. but a group of persons, and, and not even what they directly said, but what I feel they were expecting or not expecting. Yes. So I um did imagine these people right in front of me in the palm of my hand, and and just um let what was it, just letting letting water. Yeah, one of, the, one of the things I've been talking with you on this is, is just, this is what I do. I just imagine a big hole in my chest and, I, and, and, and living in that verse, you know, out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. So I always kind of imagine, kind of like I've got a massive big hose pipe like the fire, f- fire service people or there's a big hole in my chest and this massive <laughs> torrent of water is flowing out. It just helps me, you know, it's just a... and So we got you to hold your hands out, didn't we? And, and let this waterfall of love and forgiveness just flow all over them. <laughs> exactly. And then, um, just by, by, by doing this, releasing these strings, these or this. You got to a place where you thought, yeah, that's it, that's done, didn't you? And then just like doing a act or As a prophetic act, he just blew them away. Not that he blew the people away, but he blew the bondages. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> yeah, so like to blow them away. Yeah. No, no, no. He actually blew them away But what he was doing was blowing in blowing away just a little prophetic act that I kind of like doing but you don't have to do it He was just saying okay I, those those bondages that connected you to me and held us both in chains whew, Blow them away release blowing a release. Does that make sense? And how did you feel? Well, like it yeah but then you said, and, and I said to you, well, how are you feeling now? But you said there was something. There's still, there's something there also. was still so, uh, something there, wasn't there, in your heart. And so the next thing we did, can you remember? When I he forgot, said, God, again, yeah. What, what, what the other well, actually, what I think you asked, he said, can you show me God if there's anybody else I need to forgive? And what did he tell you? Okay. So you're having a conversation with God now. And he's saying, "Ah, uh, and, and so ask God. Who else do I need to forgive?" And, you, and God said, "Forgive yourself." And so, what did you do then? Then I left virtually run the river through myself. And I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and you, I asked, I asked God, "What, what are the things you want me to forgive?" And yeah. I just, just um. Visualized them somehow. And, yeah. And know. then you spoke to yourself, didn't you? Yeah, he said, y- Jonas, you're listening to me. I forgive you for whatever it was. Not going to rehearse those. And you kind of let the river flow through. And how did you feel after that? Free, Free. yeah. You, you, you appear to be deeply touched. Uh, would, you, would you say it's quite a deep thing for you? Okay, right, there okay. There might be some like Yeah, but it was simple, wasn't it? Yeah. It was simply, he was just engaging with who he is. You know, a, a channel of the river of the love of, and the grace and the forgiveness of God. And he just let that river flow over the people he needed to forgive, forgave them, blew away the chains, forgave himself for whatever it was and felt free that's basically it so end of, that's, the end, that's the end of my talk forgiveness is just astonishing forgiveness is the kingdom of God forgiveness is the power of God forgiveness is the love of God forgiveness is absolutely central to God touching the world through us thank you for listening to the Our Destiny podcast For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.